0: Hello and welcome to Quarantine Conversations. This is your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's guest is Katie Herzog, who is a journalist stationed outside of Seattle, Washington. In this conversation, we talk about the downstream effects that the COVID response might have with regards to the economy and ways in which one can survive quarantine and not let their overactive imagination get the better of them, nor their paranoia about a world on the brink of ruin. This is actually a hopeful interview and I'll let you discover why on your own. Here's Katie Herzog. Your special marriage partner is yeah. she is she on the front lines of what's happening in Washington with regards to health?
1: She will be very soon. So she has um, volunteered to work at the ICU at her hospital. Um, Much to my chagrin, I uh, knew she's a very moral person. Um, And so as soon as this thing started, I was like, "Oh, she's gonna fucking do it. And she did. Um, So I was not thrilled to like, hear that she was gonna be... Uh, working in the ICU. But yeah, so she starts actually on Monday, she'll start working with COVID patients.
0: Okay. Well, because I'm, I'm wondering if you have any insight, because I'm kind of disconnected from what's really going on. And I think a lot of people are. And I'm wondering if, if you have a little bit yeah. more insight on what's going on on the ground in, I guess, Seattle or in, in our state.
1: I live in Bremerton, which um, is a, as you know, but as your listeners, watchers probably don't, is a small town on um, a peninsula about 15 miles from Seattle. So I, before I was furloughed, I commuted into Seattle. Um, And I haven't been there. I've like, my quarantine has now been like, like, I've lost all track of time. So I have no idea how long I've been home. I think it's been like either three weeks or maybe a month. I don't, I honestly don't know. Um. So it's been a while since I've been into Seattle, um, but I am still sort of watching what's going on from a distance, um, via social media and through friends and colleagues. Uh, colleagues. I don't really have friends. I'll be honest about it. So. Um, I don't believe you. <laughs> so uh, shit's bad. Like you know, everything is closed. Like everywhere else in the state and and a lot of places in the in the U.S. Um, restaurants are closed bars are closed retail locations are closed and a lot of places have boarded up their windows i guess in anticipation of looters which seems insane but also like shit that seemed insane and impossible a week ago is now coming true um so there's a lot of like from the pictures i see it looks kind of like a like crazy like war zone or like post like natural disaster scene um some places i think are you know sort of they're like Painting barrels on their on their plywood plywood fronts now to sort of like live in the mood, which is sweet, but still like <laughs> fucked up that it has come to this. Um, and then one other strange thing about I haven't seen this in Seattle, but a friend of mine who works at the Seattle Times mentioned this, and I have seen this in Bremerton where I live. So I went downtown, I walked downtown Bremerton, um, which is a small town, uh, earlier this week or last week, depending on what week it is, because I've completely lost track of time. Um, and all the businesses were closed. There, were like, there was like a co-op that's open, but you they're not actually open for business. You have to like order shit online and they'll take it out to you or whatever. So that was open. There was a bike shop that was open. Absolutely no business. And the only people who were like walking around who were out and about were visibly homeless um, or crazy. They were like talking to themselves. So it was like the rapture had come and like taken everybody except for this like small like sort of tragic population um just super bizarre and apparently that's the same thing in in seattle but just like to a much greater degree because there's a huge homelessness population in seattle and there's also a lot of people with like mental health issues and so that's kind of who's left or at least that's what i'm hearing from people um so yeah uh my girlfriend works at the hospital there And her hospital is in much better position than a lot of the hospitals. Um, But they are, right now, they are in the process of basically, so all elective surgeries have been called off. So what they're doing is, and procedures. So what they're doing is they're they're getting ready for this deluge of dying people. So they're building units within the hospital that are just for COVID patients. Um, And of course, like they don't have the ventilators and the PPE, the like protective equipment um, that they need. So it's really fucking bad. Um, Yeah. It's like the whole thing is just, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy.
0: At this point we're on the precipice. So we still don't know how bad it's going to get. We have projections, but the reality right. is ahead. Yeah.
1: Right. Right. I mean, we can see what's happened in, you know, in Italy and yeah. in Spain and Germany. So it's not like we're flying totally blind. Um, you know, and there have been like it looks like South Korea is doing pretty well. Singapore has done like a remarkable job apparently of of quashing their outbreak, but they're also like Singapore's a totalitarian you know they like they they drag you out of your house if you're if you're caught like you know within six feet of people, like
0: yeah,
1: if you have law if you can enforce laws like this, you can like prevent people from spreading the virus. We don't have that. you know we have sort of suggestions. or would
0: um, you be in favor of like a temporary totalitarianism? do you think that uh,
1: you know i benefit? started thinking about this when the outbreak started and i i you know it, like i'm on a where i was on a podcast every week called blabbermouth with my colleagues at the stranger and one thing we talked about was like how in some ways it was good that this outbreak started in china and not africa someplace it, ha- it started in a place where they had like massive infrastructure like they were able to build like COVID hospitals within a matter of like a week, and then also really limit people's transit. Obviously, it didn't ultimately matter that much because we live in such a globalized society and people travel. But if this was something like, you know, you have these like even more horrific diseases like Ebola, and there's no infrastructure, and there's no sort of um, maybe no running water, like... I think it could be. I think if it had started in a in a less developed, like freer place, it, it could have spread a lot faster, hmm. and it, you know it could be a lot worse. I mean, do I think that it's worth sacrificing civil liberties for something like this? Well, yeah, I do. I mean, we're in the I, in, under normal circumstances i'm incredibly concerned about sort of the the uh the, the creep of authority of authoritarianism um whether it's from the government or from people sort of requesting more authority in our lives um from be it from tech companies or whatever hmm. but you know when we're in the midst of a crisis um i'm very glad that they're they the libertarians are like continuing to like you know uh beat the drum for civil liberties but i certainly feel myself hmm. uh very happy to live in a state where they're taking this seriously. Um, I think Jay Inslee has done a really a pretty good job and not someplace like Alabama or Tennessee or Texas or wherever, where they're saying like, this is no big deal. Uh, Mm. You know, it's, or it's like leftist hoax or whatever. And we're just going to like go up life as normal. And I think it'll be interesting to see, you know what the death rates are like in places like that compared to places like Washington. and it's like interesting in like a very devastating fucked up way. But I am sort of glad to have like you know the like the heavy hand of authority telling people mm-hmm. to stay home right now.
0: Yeah, I wonder if um, if there's a marriage between or a balance between personal responsibility and social responsibility and then having that government there, like saying For sure. very strongly what to do and then people t- take up the slack. If we can – if the people as a population can take, take the responsibility, we don't need it imposed on us.
1: Totally. I think the problem is that we've shown that we can't take personal responsibility, which, you know, one of the unfortunate things about this is like since this started um, – We've still, for the most part, uh, I've still been able to, like, get out in nature, which has been, like, a huge blessing to be able to, like, go someplace that still feels normal. And just to have, like, something to do that isn't in the house. It's kind of the last thing left is, like, going to state parks or national parks or just getting out into the woods. But so many people were crowding Hmm. trails and campgrounds and treating this like it was a vacation that now those things are closed. Um, So there is this sort of, you know, tragedy of the commons. Like, some people abused this and treated this like it was spring break and now well guess what all that shit's closed um but so yeah if people had like acted more responsibly then the parks might still be open but instead like they're closed so now well, we're really a, inside
0: yeah there was a tweet that you uh published a couple days ago i don't know exactly when because time in my head is different too but you talked every talk day about, like sunday the, yeah, every day. Well, yeah, or Saturday night, depending on uh, how close you are to the liquor bottle. But yeah. when you you spoke about uh, cancel culture and, and how before the outbreak, like, you were one of the people who was against it or had been canceled whatever, like, like the conversations kind of expired, but you said something about bringing that back or, like, that you now see a use for it, like, like the public shaming or, like, some sort of enforcement that's grounds up or, you know, like, ground up versus top-down shaming. Right. And, cancellation right
1: i still i don't think that it's productive or uh a good idea to like pick someone out of the crowd and say like this is gonna be our like this is you know our uh whipping boy or whatever for the day i don't think that's right and i think john like i talked about this on twitter with john ronson a little bit and he said like you know and he's the author of so you've been publicly shamed which is a book that i recommend for everybody who's sort of interested in this stuff um You know, it's sort of that Christian thing, shame the the behavior, not the person, like love the sinner, not the sinner, whatever. And I do think in this case, like that is a, those are sort of pretty good rules to live by. I also, you know, the public part doesn't really need to exist. Like if there's somebody in your life who is not taking this seriously, who isn't quarantining, who is going about life as normal, I think it would be more productive to go to that person quietly and personally and not started you know a twitter dogpile um Mm -hmm. that said like this is a new like social norm and it's one that is seems to be very important to enforce um so you can do it by law you can do it by by norm or whatever um and i think some combination of the two is probably what's going to be required required in this case
0: do you think um now that everybody's inside that there's more activity on social media do you think that it's going to shape or re- reboot the conversation that we've been involved in with an influx of normies do you think that's going to happen or do you think
1: uh, that's a good question. Uh, right now everything is covid, right? So I have seen less of like the culture war stuff, which I'm sort of heartened by um yeah. because right now like like I have seen I have seen some people just continuing to like beat the drum about whatever their pet culture war issue is. And I just, I don't see how people can, like, I, hmm. you know, like, I write about culture work stuff. I think about it all the time. Yeah. Right now, I don't fucking care. I really don't. I don't care about pronouns. I don't care about, uh, I don't, I don't care about any of it. I just, mm-hmm. like, we're, like, the world has changed in this, like, okay. irrevocable way. And so, in some ways, I'm like glad to see people continuing to beat their dumb drums because it shows that like life goes on and it does feel a little bit normalizing. Like, um, I don't know if you saw this, but so I have a new podcast with Jesse Single. And um, the other day, so the podcast is called Blocked and Reported. And so we put out the first and it's a podcast about dumb internet bullshit, which does seem like an an incredibly unimportant thing right now. Um, But also, I think, you know, we have to it can't all be COVID all the time, right? Like some distraction is good. And so We posted the audio to the first episode of the show, and it turns out there's a there's a podcast called Block Party or Blocked Party or something like that, which we'd never heard of, and we'd never heard of the people who were making it or whatever. But so they accused us of stealing of like the quote like some the guy who was pissed about it, some the host of the show, he's a comic or something, he said something like, "You essentially stole my podcast," which is of course like. He does not have a copyright on the word block. Yeah. And also we didn't steal his fucking podcast. We've never heard of his podcast. We never heard of him, right? <laughs> and uh and it so and so Jesse responded to this and it started and then his like podcast fans started dogpiling Jesse. And in a way it was like uh, it was good to see it in a way because it was like, Oh, Th- like it was like a little bit like a moment of normalcy to see this <laughs> dumb internet bullshit which is what our podcast is about um yeah. so it just felt like very prescient in some ways um but also like a huge fucking waste of time you know like really this is the kind of thing that people are going to get uh, get riled up about at this moment like the world has like I'm so concerned about what's coming next. I think we're going to see food shortages. I think that this could be the end of small business as we know it. I think that the housing market might crash. I mean, like, Mm. we don't know what's going to happen, obviously, but there's just all of these downstream effects that are coming and are not impossible to predict, but are, you know, fucking terrifying. Right? Mm. And so... On, on like the one hand, it's like find something else to care about. But on the other, it's like okay, well, this feels normal. People being Ooh. idiots on the internet at least is normal.
0: The When everybody's in, let's just say that everybody's sequestered to one conversation, and it's all about this virus and the potential outcomes of it. And your job uh, or the job of the journalist is basically the one who uh, positions a narrative that collates uh, you know, some sort of understanding what's going on. When you're facing something that's potentially absolutely terrifying, how do you manage that terror or put it in just the right place to... To get people on board, but not to, you know, break down social order in a way, because fear...
1: I mean, I'm not, I'm, like, not working now. I mean, I got furloughed from my job, so I'm not... I'm sort of, in some ways, I'm, like, very lucky that I don't have to, like, be covering this stuff, because... Like, for... Okay, so... I just don't see how
0: you're not covering it, because you're... Everybody knows you as a journalist, so every time you...
1: Well, Talk I'm not about writing it about it. Okay, yeah. I'm okay. like, t- I'll tweet about it, but I'm not writing like long. Like I was covering it. So the first couple weeks I was covering it. And then um, my paper essentially like started the process of going out of business because we don't have, and this is not just my paper. This is the Seattle Times yesterday had an article about how this has impacted Washington media and it is fucking bad. Every alt weekly, the few alt weeklies that are left, all these local papers, they've all gone through furloughs or layoffs or cutting people's salary. It's really, really bad. and it there might be no recovering from this. Like this could be the end of lots and lots of local papers as we know it. Um, so what happened is, so I covered it for the first couple weeks. It was like, as soon as this, this happened, we shifted entirely to COVID coverage, but the paper has no money because all of our income depends on people being able to gather in public to go to restaurants, to go to bars. We have a ticketing company. Like everything is about, being in public and when there's no ads when these places are closed they're not buying ads so we we don't have any money um so Hmm. my boss sent us sent like a all-staff email saying like um hey we're gonna do a fundraiser because like shit's really bad and i wrote back and i sort of thinking it was an empty gesture i said like um you know if it comes down to furloughs like i'll be first in line um not thinking that would ever happen. And then like an hour later I got a call and they were like, That is such a generous offer. And I was like, Oh Uh-oh. shit. <laughs> so I took a furlough. The you it was of yourself. I totally did. And and for like an hour it was like, All right, like I don't have to, like I don't have to go to work for eight weeks. I'm gonna collect unemployment. This is totally fine. So the next day they ended up laying off seventeen people. Out so of- out of a staff of maybe thirty five or forty. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what we have left at the paper is a skeleton crew of, um, of writers who are working now seven days a week, like 12 hours a day, seven days a week with for pay cuts. So they're working harder than ever. They're making and, and I'm telling you, we didn't make much money in the first place. So making very little money, working very hard. Um, and like traffic on the you know the website is up, Uh, but there's like less less funding so um so anyway Hmm. it's a total shit show but i'm also really lucky that you know they're like in some ways like as a journalist it's like yes you want to be in the involved in the stories but in other ways it's like do i want to work 12 hours a day seven days a week for less money fuck no so in some ways i'm like incredibly lucky that i that i like furloughed instead of like continuing to work this job that is now incredibly difficult and thankless for Bucking pennies well
0: but you are known as katie herzog not katie herzog stranger writer i mean you're known as working for the stranger but your voice is right. your voice i i, I right. I'm, I'm just li- living in a post uh you know post media company world i'm i'm, I'm a self-starter right. i'm you know right which I doesn't mean, mean that i make any money but you know right I produce no, my own and, content and I'm knows myself
1: and you know in that sense like i also have a big advantage over my colleagues that i and this is purely because i like have like i tweet a lot um but i have like a you know a bigger following than a lot of my colleagues who are like much better reporters than i am um and they can't get they can't get uh freelance work because nobody's ever heard of them um and they had the stability of like working at a staff job but yeah. once that's over you have to create something anew and i and i'm actually doing fine like i got another job uh, I'm freelancing. I have a podcast. Like, things are fine for me, um, other than the fact that my girlfriend is, like, going to bring home COVID. <laughs> COVID. My, my wife, my wife, we got married. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, I was going to correct you, but yeah. it, it's um, a learning It's going to,
1: like, bring home COVID, but uh, yeah, so things are actually fine for me. But Okay, so like...
0: to get back to my uh, original, que- well, my question, what is your responsibility as a journalist to oh, right. position the public's attention on the terror that might be there, but not to allow that terror to overtake the entire conversation? like how do you how do you thread that needle
1: i mean i think the appropriate way to do it is to report on what is happening and just do it in a way that's like as responsible as possible i mean mm-hmm. people are going to panic like this is a very panicky time yeah. um you know what i don't think helped mm-hmm. was in the beginning was to have outlets like vox say like this is no big deal um or you masks don't work or this is just the flu like that to me is is like that's malpractice you know they didn't know obviously like i don't think this was was purposeful so maybe it isn't malpractice but it shows like like a a bigger devotion to like i don't know turning out content than actually like uh providing a public service
0: do you think that the um that the public's attention on the media will necessarily change because we'll get through this in some way understanding how the media interacts with the public uh, understanding the responsibility that the information shares have to the information and to the public
1: i think to, that i think that like too i saw
0: distorted they're never going to be undistorted
1: because right right i i mean i'm maybe i'm a horrible pessimist but Mm -hmm. i think you might be right about that i mean trust in the media is really really low right now it's like the media is like less trustworthy right or it's considered less trustworthy right now than like fucking congress or donald trump which is insane but you know we have like Hmm. the media is not one thing the media is lots and lots of things and some people are doing a great job and some people are doing a terrible job you know uh i think that like everybody hates tucker carlson i guess i should say that i hate tucker carlson i don't think i hate him as much as most people do however tucker carlson apparently like he was the one person at fox like saying that this was going to be a big deal and apparently he went to mar-a-lago and like convinced trump that this is a big deal and so i like it's crazy that we live in a world where tucker fucking carlson is the guy who has to convince the president that this massive pu- public health crisis is an actual public health crisis but i'm also glad that he did it Yeah. you know but we just yeah. like we exist in like these like tiny narrow media echo chambers, and it's incredibly easy to just follow the ones you agree with. Like right now, like KOW, the public radio station in Seattle. I don't know if you saw this, but they um, have decided they're not going to air Trump's press comp daily press conferences anymore. This is I'm I think this is appalling. Like. Public radio if, if if CNN or MSNBC or Fox News or whatever if a private company or a publicly traded company wants to do that that's one thing but public media has an obligation is a public mm-hmm. service it has a, it has a fundamentally different mission than every other media organization in the country it gets government funding not very much but like public media has an obligation to, to appear neutral to be neutral and if they can't be neutral which they can't to appear neutral um, it protects the public media ecosystem from attacks, uh, from attacks from the GOP mostly, mm. who wants to defund public media. And so KUOW took this incredibly political stance by deciding not to air Trump's press conferences. And what they're saying is like, he is, he's like uh, spreading misinformation on pu- this public health issue. So therefore we're not going to air it. Well, he's been spreading misinformation since the fucking first day of his presidency. I don't think they need to air his, his uh, rallies, but his press conferences, mm. I want to hear what he's saying. He's he's lying. I know that he's lying. I don't think K U W consumers need to be f- shielded from the from the president's fucking statements. Like we just need to hear them, right? Anyway, um, so. This is an incredibly popular stance in Seattle because we live in this city where everybody thinks they're part of the resistance, and that should also include our local media. That is a complete misunderstanding of what public media is. Public media is not the resistance. It should not be the resistance. Public media is a public service. It should be neutral. Even when Donald Trump is the fucking president, it is not the place of public media to, to shield their listeners from his, from his statements. It's to provide them. Anyway. So my point is that like hmm. our media our our media consumption our media diets are so are such echo chambers that you can if you're a KUW listener you don't even have to hear what the president is saying anymore hmm. or if you want to hear what he's saying what are you going to do you're going to turn to fucking Fox News or conservative radio or whoever's actually airing it so that you can hear what the fucking president is saying about hmm. this pandemic even if what he's saying is utter bullshit which it always is because he's utterly full of shit. So I don't know if this is going to change anything. It might just make it more, our echo chambers more intractable, which is just like, you know, I thought after the 2016 election that people would say like, Oh, this is a huge problem. Living in these bubbles is a huge problem. And because we live in these bubbles, the media in particular, especially the left the left leaning media, was completely unable to predict that Donald Trump was gonna win the fucking election. And I thought that would change. And it has not changed. It has just gotten worse, as you've seen with the coverage of the of the, the Democratic primary. Mm-hmm. People are flabbergasted because Joe Biden won. why? Because people who work in the media are sur- surrounded by yeah. Warren supporters and Sanders supporters, and so it's this shocking thing that oh guess what your 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 own personal views are not in line with those of the American public and like yeah. to me it's just like the fact that people don't get this, the fact that that other people that like my colleagues in the media do not get this is just like it's it's right there it's right in front of your face, and you can't see it, and I do not understand it.
0: There's a secret ingredient to certain people that certain people have where they resist that echo chamber at least enough, even though they have their biases and they they consume the media that that kind of supports their biases, uh, where they don't get taken up. Like if you look at Reddit, I I look at the front page of Reddit and there's always some sort of politics uh, post that is always one direction. Trump is evil. Bernie Sanders is, you know, the second coming. Or third coming. I don't know which coming we're on, but um, there's there's a lot of people who are taken up in that, and then there's something in those posts or in that attitude within that um, progressive bubble that we've seen that rapidly enforces: if you disagree, you're going to get punished. Um, and what causes somebody to see that and just, uh, resist it or, or step out of it? And
1: yeah. is that person I think better that's a great positioned
0: question. when a crisis happens?
1: Right. I think that's a great thing. I think that the reality is the thing that is most effective at breaking people out of their bubble is getting ostracized. So expressing some opinion that's against the cultural norm, um, whether that's, you know, um, whether you're you live in Bernie land or Trump land or whatever, if you say something that alienates you from the tribe, I think that is and you get and the tribe turns on you, I think that is a really effective way to sort of see these lines. And and I think you and I both probably know a lot of people who've gone through yeah. a sort of some sort of controversy and they've come out of it with having like lost their community, lost their friends, lost their sense of of tribal allegiance. And I think that's great. Unfortunately, I mean it can be incredibly like uh, painful and sort of disruptive to your life on a sort of a personal level but it can lead to a much sort of more open mind um, and just much I think a greater awareness of like of the of the sort of ties that that hold people mm-hmm. together and that how these things are sort of artificial and and I think that can be a great thing unfortunately, the most effective way to break the, to break people out of their echo chambers is to kick them out um, and, and you can't wait process. for it. it's a slow process and it's not going to happen to everybody. And you can't really wait for that to happen. Hmm. So, and I, and I don't know, it requires, um, it requires an event or maybe not requires, but from the people that I've talked to, like I went to the heterodox, the first, uh, heterodox conference a couple years ago in New York. And, Everybody there had a sort of, and so this is for your for your viewers. This is a, a conference put on by um, the heterodox. Um, is it heterodox Academy? Is that what they're called?
0: Yeah, yeah, heterodox. It was um, uh, formed in coalition with Jonathan Haidt, who was one of the right. founders of it.
1: Right. And so the the sort of um, fundamental idea of this group is to like increase diversity, uh, diversity thought. of thought in campus, yeah. right? Um, and so most of the people there were like liberals, not all, but like mostly liberals. And, you know, I talked to people and everybody had a story about what brought them there. And for me, it was like, okay, so I wrote a story about detransition, and there was a huge fucking firestorm about this. One guy I talked to was a the head of his uh, of his department at a small college in Virginia, and he opposed a colleague's tenure, and she was a black woman, and that led to all of these sort of downstream repercussions for him. You know, Brett or Brett wasn't there, but Heather Hine was there from Evergreen. Like everybody yeah. had their had, there was a a woman from Reed, um, I can't remember her name, Lucia maybe, um, who had a, a Latina woman um who had who had protested um against against Reed College like stopping teaching like Western civilization. And that's sort of what it takes is like yeah. you, you stand up for a principal, you get kicked out, and then you uh, you can sort of see it you know you, you it opens your mind yeah. to the to the need to have diversity of thought or whatever um yeah so how you replicate that process without the personal event i don't know um because it requires you know you, you sometimes people's minds need to be opened um it's like i don't know if that you can i don't know that i you could like walk into a classroom full of undergrads or graduate students or whatever who all believe the same thing and try to like explain to them what i'm talking to you about right now and have them say anything but okay you're a fascist like i just don't know how you break that
0: yeah yeah well if if we're facing a crisis and and there's all these different echo chambers. I think there's a way of looking at the story or pointing out how the story is being told, where you give the people the skill to separate what's happening from the interpretation of what's happening. And uh, just off the top of my head, if you if the story that you're reading about the coronavirus is, is positioned around blaming somebody uh, for either doing something uh, good or bad or not enough or too much... Um, that just like examining why people acted the way they did, and 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 separating the behavior, the judgment from what's actually happening. Um, even though the judgment, the interpretation, the narratives, what's driving a lot of the clicks or a lot of the uh, interaction, because people, it's really easy to agree or disagree. Like that's just the basic manner of communication. Um, it might be the case that the story itself progresses and, and kind of starts to shatter that need to be in a agreement disagreements like we have to we have to work together it's not about agreeing or disagreeing um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: perhaps yeah but,
1: i mean I mean, maybe, I, you know, I, I do think we're seeing sort of people come together in a way that's very heartening, um, you know, sewing masks, um, industry, like pivoting, like very suddenly and saying like alcohol, comp- like liquor distilleries saying like, no, we're going to make hand sanitizer now. All that yeah. stuff is like very heartening. It's also sad that it's come to this, you know, like check like Ooh. everybody check your basement and see if you have a ventilator in your basement. You know, I don't know that that's actually going to, going to gonna mm-hmm. save anything mm-hmm. um you know i had a like i've been you know tweeting about my my girlfriend work being a nurse and and a, a couple people have offered to send us in 95s which is incredibly like sweet and nice and now we have she has four N 95 so that will last her like a week you know it's still mm-hmm. like It doesn't – this crisis is, is like, on such a more massive scale, and it really, Mm. really should require, I think, government and industry working together to fix this thing rather than, like, sewing shit out of old T-shirts because it's just – not that
0: effective well if we if we have the narrative like uh, we went through the great depression uh, american history 101 we went through the great depression and then there was world war ii and there was some form of narrative that allowed us all to work together during world war ii Um, and it seems like at this point we need that more than ever we need some sort of civic story or some sort of civic unit. I, I think it has to be story, or at least that's what I'm concerned with, because if, if right. we all have that common ground on some level, um, then we can, you know, let go of the, the dissimilarities, let go of like the right. things that are right. kind of petty in the side of um, right. a crisis. Right.
1: I think that one of the, you know, World War Two, like we had a clear enemy and that enemy was a was a country or was countries, was people, um, mm-hmm. which is maybe a little bit easier than a virus. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because right now, like, like, if, if let's like picture, like, let's say for a second that there's like, all right, well, we go back in time, like, it's like 1936, and Donald Trump is the president, and he's Mm. battling Hitler. I don't know, like the hatred of, and I fucking hate this man. And so I don't know that, like, there's such, like, I think Mm. Trump derangement syndrome is real and anything that, that, and I say this as somebody who fucking hates the man, but I also don't think I suffer from TDS. I think that there's such loathing for him that the knee jerk reaction to anything Trump does is to say it's wrong. Right. And mm. I do not think he has done much right over the course of this crisis. But if he does do something right, my hope is that people, mm. the media, the populace would be able to say, like, we can thank you for doing the right thing. You know, I mean, I don't know that that's actually true, okay. that mm-hmm. that most people would be able to put down their hatred for a second and say, like, let's just rally around this. That does not seem to be what's happening right now. Um, Do you think it's at possible least from my like, observations. that we could,
0: we could come together as a country despite having such a contentious uh, point man?
1: Uh, no. I you don't think so? don't. No. I don't. You, you, I don't know what it would take. I okay. mean, maybe if there, maybe if we were, no, even if like, even if we were like attacked by a foreign power, I don't, even if there was like a, like people like, you know, a, a lot of us hated George W. Bush, but still around nine eleven, you sort of came together as a country for a few moments, but then all of a sudden there's the Iraq war and it splinters apart again. I mean, I think yeah. that if I, it's also like Trump is culpable In some way for this. I mean, not for the not he didn't go eat a fucking pangolin in China or whatever, but his uh, his, you know, unfounded Hmm. optimism that this was just going to go away by springtime or whatever. And his inability to sort of recognize the threat that we're facing has absolutely had a massive impact on the federal government's ability to respond to this. Um, and so it's really hard okay. to look at him and see every way that he has fucked this up and say, like, that's the leader who's going to fix this. Okay. And, uh, it, like, if he does the right thing, you know, I think that Trump has done the right thing on a couple of points. Like, the uh, his criminal justice – not his – there was a bipartisan criminal justice reform, um, the First Step Act or whatever. Trump signed it. You know, I don't think he actually had much to do with the crafting of this legislation. But Democrats and Republicans got together for a brief moment to, like, do some good work. And I really appreciate that. So I'm willing to say, like, Trump has done a couple of good things in office. I, don't, I think a lot of my colleagues in the media would be unable to make that, to make the, even that one, like, simple statement. Like, he's done a couple of okay things.
0: hmm so and, and
1: the media, you know, th- sorry, go ahead.
0: No, no, go, go.
1: Well, the media the media is obviously like very out of touch with the American people in many ways, but we also sort of craft the narratives that people absorb yeah. um, on both sides, whether it's pro-Trump or anti-Trump.
0: Well, do you think that uh, the, the, the need is to do a ground up? We can't look to our leader or we can't look to our leaders to help us. We have to right. look and rely on... Ourselves. We have to become the adults in, in a way.
2: Yeah. And, uh, yeah I,
0: I don't know if yeah. that's possible, but do you think uh, well, there's well, enough think libertarian spirit and uh, yeah. married with, uh, you know, upstarter, meritocracy,
1: bootstrap. Yeah, no, I, I think we are seeing that in some ways, not because of the federal government. Um, I mean, it's not like in Washington state, like our, like our leader in Washington state has been very clear about uh, about you know what this crisis means um and and what our obligations as citizens of this state is um Trump has not that said i still think like you know
2: hmm.
1: industry like with the ventilator stuff i mean the big concern is like the hospital systems being overloaded not just in places like new york and seattle but rural hospitals that don't have any ventilators you know and I just don't know that this is something that people, that individuals can like come together and fix because what this means is like okay. sourcing ventilators from China. And I, like, I have a friend back in North Carolina who does a lot of, um, uh, like, f- like first response, like response to, to, um, to like natural disasters and stuff like this. I just got a message from her today. She was asking me if I knew anybody at Amazon or Facebook or one of these like very rich companies that could help because she's found a source of ventilators in China, which is great, but she still has to buy them. And I don't know anybody at, at Amazon or Facebook who can like, you know, throw in a few million dollars to pick these things up. So people are still like, people are doing the work. It's really okay. incredible. That yeah. People are trying to do the work, but it's still requires like connections funding resources that most of us don't have so even if like we can you know plan our own victory gardens or whatever or so face masks ourselves like this requires a, a much much greater response from the federal government. I, Elizabeth Warren was talking about sort of a World War II type mobilization just to like address the collapsing hospital system. And as much as I think Elizabeth Warren failed at her campaign, like I fucking wish she was president right now okay. or anybody okay. else but Donald Trump.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So things are pretty dire in, in your estimation
1: i'm not i'm not optimistic i'm okay, like yeah. i'm very concerned that food shortages are going to be coming um and all of these things that seemed so impossible a week ago that have come to pass um okay. you know if if farm workers can't get in the united states because of border closures if farm workers are sick which is absolutely possible well where are we gonna get our food from i mean like Uh, Like my household, we've started sort of taking responsibility ourselves like in ways that we can. So we found like local dairy and meat producers. Um, We're planting, you know, we're in the process of like doing a lot of planting for our like summer food stores. But everybody can't do that. Hmm. Um, You know, lots of people live in urban environments where... You can, like, maybe plant a little like herb garden in your window, but you're not going to have a fucking victory garden or whatever. Um, yeah. you know, and I am heartened to see lots of communities coming together, delivering food to people who can't do it. There's lots of great gestures here,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but this is a virus, like, it requires you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: research, development, yeah, equipment.
0: Do you think that, how do you imagine it changing uh, the social fabric of, let's just say Seattle, like the tenor of it? Do you think that the the attitudes, the values of Seattle will um, change or get more progressive or be shown to see, uh, show the great parts of progressivism, the community? Uh,
1: I think probably it depends on how dire things get. I mean, best case scenario nothing changes that's like best case scenario. well best case scenario like things get better but i don't think that's likely okay but i think that the things are i think the changes are going to be way more material um and that's going to have sort of downstream effects like i think most small businesses are going to go under so that's going to have a huge impact on who lives in the city already right so Mm -hmm. amazon's going to do fine but there's going to be a lot of empty real estate because even if you're you know even if there's uh even if there's like a rent freeze or whatever, well the mortgages still have to get paid. And even if the mortgage even if there's a mortgage paid, well the banks still have to get paid. Like so I my fear is Mm -hmm. that we're gonna see this great emptying out of small businesses. Like my sister's husband owns a owns a a shoe store, like a running shoe store in Colorado. Well he had his first it's been open for 15 years. They had their first zero dollar day the other day which is what's like it's very difficult for them, you know. Like they're like really considering whether the business can stay open. Well, they can't stay open because the next day they got ordered to close by the governor. So, yeah. there'll be some bail- bailouts for small businesses. I hope, but let's say this thing lasts for 18 months. There is no fucking way that small businesses, that restaurants, that newspapers, that cafes, that retail places can stay open, can survive 18 months or a year, or I don't know, even six months without any income. There's just no way. And that's going to happen all across the United States, right? So we could be seeing the end of small business as we know it. So I think that's going to have a massive, massive cool. effect cool. on who can live in cities on, uh, on like right now. So there's a housing crisis in seattle well the housing crisis might be over soon because people are going to not going to be able to fucking live there anymore because there's no jobs um so i just i think that like i'm more concerned about the material effects of this mm-hmm. than i am about sort of society coming apart at the seams in sort of intellectual or emotional ways um yeah, because okay. it's just like i think poverty just widespread poverty is going to be the you know shit. um
2: you're still there. The next,
1: uh, I'm still there. Yeah. Does that worked. Okay. Um, yeah. So I'm more concerned about sort of the material effects of this than I am, um, than I am the the whether or not we all sort of come together and decide that we should be one.
0: Yeah. Well, okay. So looking at it that way, does anything come to mind and how to prepare for that? Or like you just hope for the best? Uh, start conserving yeah. toilet paper, you know, like go down to one, I mean, one sheet per poop. Start kind
1: of thing. Uh, I wouldn't do one sheet per poop, but uh, what my household is doing, two sheets for pee. Okay. Um, I guess you, you can just shake it, but... Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> male privilege right privilege. there. Privilege! Yeah. Um, uh, I think that people need to be conserving. Um, I've recommended that all my family members, especially my parents, try to find a local CSA. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, where they can, like, get... Sort of, like, find local producers. I mean, you know, in some ways... Ten, year, 10 years from now, we might look back on this and it might have ended you know, oftentimes horrible things lead to good things. And what this might mean is like more local economies, you know, more local, like hmm. eat local has now, it's been sort of like a something that either like, you know, farmers do or, uh, or sort of like elite, sort of, you know, NPR listening, um, graduate school going like PhDs do, you know, you can afford yeah. to go to your local farmer's market or whatever. Well, if we can't get food from, Chile or China or even the Midwest, well, people are going to have to start producing locally. So I think there could be some like very far downstream effects that ultimately may sort of benefit community building. Um, but like in the immediate next yeah. few years, just like massive disruptions. It, and it, you know, I mean, people might become less like consumeristic in some ways. Um, although I think the consumerism that we do do will benefit Amazon and. Yeah not anybody else.
0: I wonder if there will be some sort of hybrid then between local and corporate, because we still, we're not going to, I can't imagine a world without Amazon. I mean, I can imagine a world with a better Amazon, but I can't see us going back to a pre Amazon esque. No. So,
1: no, I mean, I think we might only have Amazon is the, is the fear. And Amazon has, you know, and Amazon has been a, a lifesaver, in the past week, you know, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. I, I sort of make it a point not to shop at Amazon until this happened and I've been shopping at Amazon and I think probably a lot of people live doing the same. I'm glad that Amazon is intact. I'm glad that they've like maintained their logistical chains for sure. I also wish Jeff Bezos would take some of his billions of dollars and put it towards developing a vaccine or providing um, ventilators or fucking paying local hotels in Seattle so that healthcare workers have a place to sleep. I'm like, so mm-hmm. appalled by his lack of philanthropy in this moment. Like, I know mm-hmm. he's doing important work to like keep, to keep commerce going, but the dude's the richest man in the fucking world. Like, come on. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is like, is like engaging in some sort of charity. You can mm-hmm. do it too. And maybe he is behind the scenes and he just like, hasn't like done a good job of like marketing that. But at this mm-hmm. point is like, you have benefited massively from commerce. You will benefit massively from this disaster.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Give back. Mm-hmm.
0: So what would Amazon not be able to provide then? I guess uh local sources of food then. I mean, in your estimation what would be the the local economy married to like that global chain?
1: I mean, I think they could provide food. I mean, they they okay. do provide yeah. food. They do. Yeah. I mean, Amazon Fresh is like hugely popular in Seattle. Um I don't know where they get Oh, they, they do, do their
0: produce food. in in Seattle. Yeah.
1: Oh, I didn't oh, yeah. know that. Okay. Yeah. Um so uh you know i think it would be possible for amazon to you know partner with um with local food producers for deliveries and stuff like that that would be good um hmm. i don't think it would be as good as if they could just cut out amazon entirely and like other people get some of that some of that piece of the pie um but i think this this disaster will be really good for Corporations that already have money and will be really bad for everybody else. I mean, Amazon could buy up all the fucking real estate in Seattle and install little Amazon businesses or little Amazon bars or bookstores. And there'd be no cashiers or personnel robots could could run everything. Um, and life would go on. It would just like be a little bit, I don't know, paler compared to uh, sort of what life is now.
0: Do you think that socialism might come into vogue broadly in America? Do you think that this might be...
1: You know, I don't know if socialism is quite the word for it, um, but we are certainly seeing some, like, far-left principles being instituted very quickly and also some libertarian principles you know I mean regulations are really going out the fucking wayside right now like <laughs> I find it very unlikely that any hospital in America would have accepted hand-sewn masks from str- from volunteer strangers or like or like in 95 from construction sites a month ago okay. um, and so I think libertarians are really sort of uh, sort of sort of watch I mean in a lot of these regulations like I believe in like in like I believe in regulation a lot of regulations are just like technocratic bullshit that shouldn't exist, and I think we're really seeing that now and seeing how a lot of these are falling away. And I hope that, like things like alcohol delivery, so that's illegal now. It's not, you know, why mm-hmm. should alcohol delivery be illegal? Um, these sort of moralistic rules, I think we're going to see sort of those fall by the wayside. Um, and yeah, some socialist principles, I think will I think will take hold. I mean, uh, not UBI, but these, uh, but these checks, checks towards. Yeah yeah um, and you know yeah. universal health care is also gonna be uh that's gonna really be an issue as people start hmm. going bankrupt and yeah. and but also like hospitals are now like so hospitals make a lot of their money off of like off of surgeries and procedures and shit like that so that's not happening anymore, right yeah, okay. Yeah. And so, they're also, like, hospitals are busy, but I don't think they're profiting off of this.
0: Yeah, no. Um, so, they'll you know, have to rely on the government. The, at least.
1: Right, right. Yeah. So, I think there'll be some, like, big bank bailouts. I think there'll be hospital bailouts. I hope there'll be small business bailouts. Um, and all of that is sort of, it's a little bit socialist. Hmm. Um, I don't know if we're going to see, like, the government taking over industries which is the part of socialism that yeah. i that i particularly am not fond of um because i don't think the government is better at running anything better than than
0: uh it'll
1: be interesting to see what happens with schools um you know it's
0: yeah I mean, yeah I, i'm pretty certain that evergreen's not going to survive this i'm pretty certain yeah. they were they were pinning a huge amount of their hopes on the legislature bailing them out. Uh, and yeah. I don't think the Ledge is going to do that this I time mean,
1: around. I mean, it's – yeah. Uh, any surplus surplus states have or cities have is, is mm-hmm. I think, going to be – going to go directly in response to this. Or in, like – I don't know if you saw this, but in Seattle, there's this massive bridge that connects West Seattle to downtown. And they just closed the bridge. They're, like, there were cracks in the bridge. so They just closed the bridge, which it's in itself – I mean, if this had happened pre-COVID or post-COVID, would just have been a traffic total fucking nightmare. Yeah. So, it happened you – know, co- conveniently – happen while there's very little traffic, but that itself is like a massive, massive, I mean, I don't know how many billions of dollars it takes to build a bridge. We're not, I mean, Seattle's a a rich city, but come on after this, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know.
0: Mm. I, I, there's a, I don't know why I'm just having, I'm I'm completely a noob. I don't know anything, but I just, I could see that the hospitals being over overstrained to the point of nearly breaking, but like just barely getting through, then we'll have this surplus. It might be a good way to, to redesign our healthcare system or focus a lot of attention on it so that we can take steps to make it much more efficient than it has been. It might be
1: like the shock to the system. Yeah, there has been some discussion about, you know, um, it's, like, very difficult to move from state to state uh, and practice medicine in a different state, which is insane. Medicine doesn't, you know, change from Washington to Oregon. Um, so I think they're going to do away with some of those regulations with which help. Also, this is really just, like, I didn't have an, any idea that there were only, like, you know, I don't know what the what the statistics are nationally. But there's, like, hundreds of thousands of people per ICU bed in the United States, You know what I mean? Like, we just don't have the capacity to deal with a major public health crisis. We don't have the capacity to deal with a minor public health crisis, it turns out. And so, you know, I don't have any faith that this will get addressed under the Trump administration, but maybe we'll have another president who can actually, like, figure out some of this shit. I also, like, I'm not in favor of free higher education because I think it – Devalues the, the uh, devalues a degree. I, I think it should be free for a small number of people. I think fewer people should be should be in higher education. I think we need more uh, job training, more um, vocational mm-hmm. education, and less like creative writing majors, such as myself. And I think you should more Same. jobs. I think fewer jobs should require a degree. Um, I have a degree. I do not need it to do my job. Um, and I think that one. I think one way to get more people into healthcare would would be to say actually medical school should be free right? Yeah, or like nursing, you know, like nursing and, and other health, not just nursing and, and and like, and doctors, but Hmm. everything downstream of this, like we're also going to have a massive crisis when the baby boomers are in their, you know, seventies and eighties and we don't have enough people to take care of old people. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're seeing all that now, although their, their numbers might decline significantly in the next couple of weeks. (laughs) Um, Not to get too dark about it. So there are like such clear problems. And this crisis is showing us where those problems are. Um, I don't have much faith in our ability to correct the problems.
0: Yeah. Well, it's kind of Darwinian in a way. It's just going to, we're going to survive somehow. I mean, we're not going to. Completely be wiped off the face of the planet, but a lot of no. uh, a lot of suffering um, that, that could have been mitigated is going to be on our laps pretty soon.
1: Do you have a Do you have a, a plan for? I mean, are you on furlough now, or for your day job, or?
0: So far as I know, they will be paying us. I, I'm under contract, um, so I work for a school district very locally, um, and they they said that we don't know how we're going to do it, but everybody's going to be paid through the year. So I mean, I don't okay. make a lot of money off of that but there's that um, so uh, you know I'm going to be there I mean people are going to have kids they're going to need to get educated so you know if everything goes online if we do some sort of really severe reboot I I think the educational structure will still be there Um, I don't think that that's going to the state's not going to just disband schools so no uh,
1: no no, I think the the yeah I don't think I don't think this is going to be the end of public education by any means but if this thing lasts for 18 months um, which is hard to imagine. Yeah. We're in, like, what, week three, week four? I don't know what week we're in, but yeah, it's crazy.
0: What else do you think about then? We I think we gave a lot of attention, a significant amount of attention to a pressing current event. Do you have, like, other things that you're focusing on I mean, during your i've
1: honestly like i've been like having covid dreams and like waking up and like it's the first thing like, i think about
0: like little viruses just pinging around in no your...
1: like uh like like i had a dream recently that i was like at a party which is a uh, something that hasn't happened in a long time before covid <laughs> or not um i've been socially distancing for years um but yeah so i like have like the, the virus has like entered my dream state oh, okay. it's All fucking right. hard to get up with. I mean, you know, like I got married um so there's that. Uh, which was like a nice distraction for a day although it was like such a covid wedding that it wasn't
0: that <laughs> what does that mean <laughs> did you guys wear well, masks or something you lift up the veil to kiss
1: <laughs> we didn't wear masks but we did so so like right, let me preface this by saying this like people are like like feel bad for us that our like wedding got canceled or whatever that's not what happened so my girlfriend and I were not planning on getting married And then the virus hit. And so there's a couple reasons we decided to do this. The sort of practical one is that because she works in healthcare and, like, it just makes sense sort of to have that legal protection right now in case anything happens. But the bigger impetus was that we wanted to have a wedding. We wanted to do it in a way so that we wouldn't have to invite anybody to our wedding like we didn't we just did not want to have a wedding we wanted to be married but we did not want to have a wedding and like that includes like not inviting our families um so even if we had had a courthouse wedding like my mom would have like wanted to fly out and be here my sister would have wanted to be here and then we would have like had to invite her family and then what you have is a wedding and I just like I don't want a wedding I don't want to like stand on a fucking like like yeah, on a stage such... and like talk about emotional shit. I just don't want it. It's just <laughs> fucking painful. It's embarrassing. I'm just not one of those people. Um, I would rather do almost anything else. I would rather like, like get pelted by eggs than I would like on a stage, Than like stand up and say vows, which is probably more likely to happen to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this was really the perfect excuse to do it in a way that would, means that we didn't have to invite anybody. Um, mm-hmm. so as soon as it like, as soon as it was clear that, um, uh, you know, weddings were banned parties were banned. It was like now's the time to do it yeah, Perfect excuse.
0: COVID cover story
1: Right, right. Although I keep talking about it. So, uh, it's not that much of a cover story <laughs> I keep, I continue <laughs> to Tell people the actual reason we did it. Um, so we did it on Yeah, we did Wednesday. it on Wednesday oh. Um, so we had it so the courthouses are closed so we had to find an officiant and my um so we needed witnesses, and I have a cousin who lives on bainbridge island so um which is like forty five minutes an hour an hour from here, and so we asked my cousin and her husband to be our witnesses, um you know, just to like make it simpler Wait, well, you can um, put it
0: on a dash cam or something like that, and have remote witnesses no, they have 's got it because you've got to sign oh okay.
1: So you, the way it gets, is like you apply for, so I just learned this. So you, you like go to the courthouse, you apply for your marriage license, they give you the marriage license and then you have like 60 days to complete, you have to, there's a three day waiting period and then it has to get signed by two witnesses, the couple and an officiant. So the minimum number of people you can have at a wedding is five. It occurs to me now that I could have just like, like written some, like forward somebody's signature and it probably would have been fine. Um, but we didn't do that. We, like, did it legally. So, we went to my cousin's house, and her neighbor is one of those, like, internet officiants or whatever. And so, he performed the ceremony, and oh. there was no ceremony. Um, it Like, he's, like, you know, he, like, got, like, universal church of life or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so... We, huh. He said, like, three words, um, and then we all, like, stood six feet away from each other and signed it using our own pens um, and, like, doused ourselves in Purell after. The whole thing took, like, three minutes, and then it started hailing, and we left.
0: Oh, there you go. There's it was great. A, Then we
1: came home and took a nap.
0: Oh, okay. What does it yeah. feel like on the side of marriage, then?
1: Not any different.
0: Do you, you guys don't fight more or less? or to have No. Like... You're not whipping the out like the witticisms that you've been held, holding back.
1: No, I ha- We have rings now, so that's sort of oh, okay. the biggest difference. Is that I'm used to getting, I'm getting used to wearing a ring.
0: Okay, so you're um, kind of lopsided. You have to like make up for it. A yeah,
1: little bit. used to it, oh,
0: um, yeah, and I actually,
1: nice. I, yeah, it's very plain. I, I think, I think we're gonna. I don't know how long the ring is gonna last. It feels kind of weird on my finger. <laughs> <laughs> so there might be absolutely no difference. Um, you know. I think for other people, this would have been like a very um sort of depressing way to like mark their marriage. But for me, it was like really my dream wedding. No, no. people, no vows. We're going to have like a weird ceremony with each other where we like, I don't know, like, like, do like blood brothers or something okay, like that. Yeah,
2: yeah, okay. And yeah, yeah.
1: Eventually, we'll like, we'll like have a nice dinner and like maybe say a few words to each other. But, you know, we got a lot of time. We're going to be stuck in this house together for a long time.
0: Yeah, okay. And, um, what, what's uh? So you and Jesse, you're doing your thing. Is that going to be a weekly yeah. Yeah. podcast? Yeah. So
1: our podcast is called Locked and Reported, um, and uh, yeah, it's going to be weekly. As far as we know, we are sort of still like working out the kinks right now. It's going to be um,
0: full so bullshit. They, Just total like put your bullshit. brain on ice. Just look at yeah. this crazy event that happened. I
1: mean, we're probably going to talk about COVID because we are yeah. going to talk about COVID because there's no way to not talk about COVID. Um, But yeah, we like the ideas. The idea before it started was just like a podcast about stupid internet bullshit. But now it's a podcast about stupid internet bullshit, plus like a COVID update.
0: Yeah, I don't think that stupid internet bullshit, we're going to have a dearth of that. I don't think we're going to enter into a recession of that. I think.
1: No, I don't think I don't think so either. I mean, we're already seeing the hot takes, you know, like, uh, vice like trans people can't get their surgeries during this, and it's like, okay, well, neither can people with cancer.
0: Yeah, yeah, we're running out of underwear. Yeah, well, cool. Do you Thanks have a washing
1: so machine at your house? That's one, yeah, thing we I'm do.
0: Well, well, do you want to buy one? I have an extra one.
1: No, if anybody wants one, here.
0: Oh, okay. I have a double, yeah, I, it's a double, it's a washing and a dryer. It's one unit,
1: nice.
0: six feet tall. If anybody wants it, $500 good deal. To it. yeah Wait, why did you bring it up do i look i don't know that's just nappy? there's
1: like a lot of reasons i'm like grateful to not live in a city right now oh yeah um yeah like space is a huge one but also like having a fucking washing machine
0: yeah you're on an island so you're separated if the mobs uh if, if there's term zombie you'll be fine i guess
1: yeah I'm in a, I'm in a place with, I'm in a Navy town, so there's like lots and lots of guns here. Yeah. Um, I don't know how to use any of them, but like my across the street neighbor is an 86 year old man who has over 200 weapons. Oh, so what? I figure if it comes, to, I know he like, has a literal armor, armory in his house. He ma- he makes them. Um, we can't see him right now because he's, uh, uh, you know, in the high, high risk. risk group. So yeah. it's, it's kind of sad. Like he was, um, mm. I'm not going to say I was one of his primary social contacts or best friends, but he was definitely mine. Oh um, really? Well, I, I mean in the last couple of weeks, I, like we take we have a, like a very friendly connection. Like we take his dogs okay. out, his dog out and he uh, and make him food and stuff like that. So it has been sort of sad. Not not like, you know, here's a guy who like lives alone yeah. and just lost his like primary social contact.
0: Okay. Well, you can do that. Uh, ten cans. Can get some beans, empty them out. Eat, eat your bean soup. Get a tin can, little string. Go back. Yeah. Let's revert back That's to to twelve year old times. Yeah. I'm sure he'd There's be down with it. Or like yeah. he probably has yeah. CBs, you know.
1: Just. Well, we also have cell phones.
0: Oh yeah, I, I guess if you wanna go there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for the enlightening conversation, Katie. Your brain is always yeah. it's sharp as yeah. ever. I don't know what you're doing with your time, but your the brain is, has not been affected.
1: Uh. Well, thank you. I've been smoking slightly less weed. Okay.
0: Slightly. Yeah. What's going to happen with that? Is that are we going to have a dearth of uh, marijuana? Is that a shortage? Is that going to come? The
1: shops are still open. They have been oh, declared essential businesses. Very essential about business. About. Yeah. I went and stocked up. I have a, I grew about a pound last year, but it's not really smokable. So I have lots of like lots of pot that um, hmm. I use for like. Butter and tinctures and stuff okay, like that but yeah. so i i did i went and bought like an ounce and a shit ton of edibles just like just in case oh, there
0: we go. but and i've been trying rationally. to like yeah
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah. Do, do you think that um the you're you're cutting back because you don't have anything to do outside of the house so you, it's better time management is that kind Yeah, of I is? think
1: it's just um I want to be productive over this time over this mm-hmm. weird time period um mm-hmm. and I like know myself and I have a, a I really fucking like to relax and if I was waking and baking every day I yeah. don't think I would get shit done.
0: Well, there we go. So, okay. Do you have any tips for people that are suddenly online all the time or suddenly stuck inside?
1: Um uh hang on my headphone just dropped out of my ear.
0: That's fine. Oh it went all the way down. Oh
1: yeah. Okay, first tip, um don't buy the uh the discount earbuds from uh Fred Meyer. Um, <laughs> Fred Meyer buds. <laughs> you know, I think that all right there's a lot of stuff i've been like trying to do but I haven't been doing like i've been trying to read and it's not really working yeah. um, like i'll like read the same sentence over and over and over and then i'm like back to thinking about the virus um, i've been like doing a little bit of like watercolors and um taking my dog for walks, which has been really good um, so survival tips like I don't know man fucking just don't kill yourself. I guess that's the okay. That's the big tip right now
0: Okay Okay, I can, I think can we'll put that, that out there. Yeah, I, I'm going to do an episode on, on solitude and, and suicidal ideation at some point.
1: Yeah, I think this is, um, you know, I'm not, I'm like, not that social a person in the, in the first place. So I think that this is um, probably easier for me than it is for a lot of people. My parents are super social. They have really, mm. really like... It's like they they do stuff with their friends. They're retired. They do stuff with their friends or their grandkids daily. And I think this, I'm worried about them. This is like much, much harder on them than it is on me. Yeah. So call your moms. That's what I would say.
0: Call your mom. Skype. Use this technology. Face to face. FaceTime.
1: Yeah. yeah. Cool.
0: Well, thanks for doing that with me, Katie.
1: Yeah. Anytime. Good luck.
0: Stay yeah. Good luck. out
1: there.
0: Yeah, I'm going to try. You too. Yeah. Talk to you later. Okay, bye. Congratulations for reaching the end of the podcast. If you enjoyed this product, consider donating to this channel via paypal.me slash Benjamin Boyce or joining me on Patreon. Also, follow me on Twitter at Benjamin A. Boyce. Have a good night.